Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We got three different questions that are kind of related with each other. The first one is, what is the Holy Spirit? The next question is, are there any references in the Old Testament referring to the Holy Spirit? And uh, how do you recognize that you got it, essentially? Okay. Which one do you want to talk about first? Well, I guess we could start out with definitions first. Well, and that's easy. Holy Spirit isn't a it, it's a who. Preach. Holy Spirit is God. <laughs> I know I know a lot of people have a tro- have a huge problem with that the whole Trinity I think, but to me it's I've never really had a problem with it. I mean I realize I'm gonna tell you up front. Do I understand how it works? No. I believe there's a limit to human logic and reason in explaining things that we have no conceptual over, but just like a triangle isn't a triangle if you take away one side or add another side, God isn't right. God if you take away one of the persons or add another one in there. See, I have I have to agree uh, I mean, that a lot of a lot of folks they think the Holy Spirit is a this cosmic force or something like that, and they forget that He is one of the three pe- the, the three persons of the Holy God Triune. Right. And so I've actually heard people pray to the Holy Spirit, which I I, I can't say that I've ever done that, but. I, I can understand the logic behind it because the Bible tells us to pray to the Father through the name of the, the Son. But I'm I'm not above imploring the Holy Spirit to be with me and to guide me and direct me. That's what He said He's supposed to do. He's supposed to be that eternal Comforter. He's supposed to be the. The Bible says that He brings you into the the, the knowledge of all truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says He guides you, He leads you, He directs you. I mean, He gives you right. discernment. So I think that if anything, we should be at least cognizant of the fact that he's the person of the Trinity that we should be most familiar with because he's the one that's present with us now. Right. And it's a separate entity. He he intercedes for us. He gives us our gifts at his discretion. What are gifts? I mean, that's who the spirit, you know, it's a distinct divine person equal in substance. 
to the father and son, not a subordinate. Wasn't that the Nicene Creed that she was saying? Which was uh, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's where that comes from. Yep. Yeah. Sequ- um, sex. Uh, I think they call him the third, but co-equal in majesty and unity. And I forget. I, I don't know the whole creed, but I, that's always been my favorite way to address it because I think it pretty much substantiates what we're trying to say without trying to overdefine it as well. I think True. we downplay the significance of the Holy Spirit. I mean, almost everything past the Gospels that is front and center of the focus of each writer is the Holy Spirit's indwelling. I would argue, I I guess if you go book for book, you're not going to see one element of the Trinity more present in the writing than the Holy Spirit. Pound for pound, you're probably not going to see more writing about any individual elements than I think even including the Old Testament the Holy Spirit. That is my personal opinion. And we can go round and round about that, but I think we downplay well, the significance of the Holy Spirit. When I did my search, I think it only appears like 44 times in Scripture the name Holy Spirit. It's not... I, I, and he's just as important, but I think people don't revere the Spirit as they should because it's all directed at Christ, at Jesus. The Spirit is our helper. And not that it was written that way as a um, second off. It's just kind of when you read through the Bible, it's, well, he's the helper. He's the holy, it, you know, Christ is the center. God is the center, then comes Christ. And the spirit is kind of like an afterthought. And maybe that's why people don't revere the Holy Spirit or understand what the spirit is. They forget. I, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, Christ is more centered in the Bible than the spirit. Completely. I mean, I see where you're going with that art, but. You look at some of the last words that Christ had said before his ascension, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness. Mm. I would argue that they wouldn't have been the witness without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They would have been lacking that strength, that influence, and I definitely know that Paul, as smart as he would have been, I don't think that he would have been nearly as as effectual in his work if it had not been for the work of the Spirit. But yeah, no, well, I see what you're saying where it seems like Jesus is the front and center, but you know, I, I get what you're saying. Well, as far as you made, you made a, a mention, people don't focus so much on the Spirit as they do, only because of the way the gospel is presented. I mean, Christ is, is, the, is the way and the truth, right? And the Spirit is, is the helper. And it, it, not to diminish it, it's just the way it's written. And some people, unfortunately, literally take those things and say, oh, it's just uh, the Spirit. It's not, it's, not a, it's not as important as the Father and, and the Son, which is obviously not true. That's just not the way. It, it's all three together, and they're all three are important in doing their own work in us. And maybe the Spirit more so because he's with us at all times. Well, and I think without without getting into the other questions as well, and I like what Alan says. I don't want to, I don't want to skip questions, but all of these questions are so commingled together. I, I think the important thing to remember is, and we tell our children this a lot of times when they're in Sunday school, is that Jesus came to live in your heart. No, Jesus did not come to live in your heart. The Bible tells us very explicitly that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And one of the things that I think, especially a lot of Pentecostals and Charismatics, get mixed up with is that the Holy Spirit is ever-present in someone who is saved. 
So if you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. He is what is your guiding force, or he should be at least a, at least a contributing force to who you are, what you think, how you act, what you say. I mean, that's that's the purpose of growing and maturing and then eventually producing fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit being inside of you. Now, we could go back and forth over the you know, the, the teaching of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then the, the external gifts and the charismatic speaking in tongues and things like that. And we could talk about that till the cows come home. And probably none of us are all going to agree 100% on what that looks like. The fact of the matter is, though, a lot of times, and I've heard it often say specifically by Baptist brethren, is that when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. Well, that's technically, that's what Scripture says. If you have not the Spirit, then you're none of His. Yeah, but that's, I, I think the Spirit is with us prior to being saved. I mean, well, then you what, can talk, what, what gives you... Then what, you can what, talk what, about re- regeneration and, you know, prior to repentance, and, and I, right, I tend yeah. to go along those lines as well, yes. Right, because well, what, what irks you, what, what gives you that feeling to seek and understand? I mean, if you don't have, already have the Spirit to guide you to open up your heart, then, then how are you saved? Well, and I don't remember... Right, it, it just becomes words. And it just depends right, words just you speak. Think. Instead of having that, that right there. me and Kathy, the 18 inch difference between right. what you say and what you have in your heart. Right. And that's where the, the, right, so. That right there is exactly what John Wesley referred to as provenient grace. It is the grace that goes out before to sort of, it's the Holy Spirit working in you to bring you to that point of repentance. Then you get to right. the, the salvific kind of thing. But, uh, and, I don't know, Paul, I think, I don't know the exact reference, shame on me, but he talks about, you know, you loved us before we even loved you. I, I would side more with Wesley saying that the Spirit's already there. I agree with that. He's already there. Like I said before, I don't think God, when he created us, doesn't, he, he doesn't make garbage. It's like I keep telling my, my kids, he doesn't create garbage. You are in his image. Again, I'm, I'm not a Calvinist. I'm more free will. It's your choice to choose the right path or the wrong path. But the spirit is always there and says, hey, you're going wrong. you got to change this. You're constantly pushing. I think it's God's work pushing back into the path to be with, with him. I, I truly believe that that's the case. I think God gave, gives everyone has the spirit. It's just him working in you and whether you accept him or not. And you can, of course, not accept the spirit and then. You know, it's on you. <laughs> but I think, I think the spirit has to be always present because, as a part of the Godhead and as you know, God Himself, that's one of the requirements of deity is you know omnipresence. So I believe, yeah, that He He is forever present and He is always witnessing of Christ um, and convicting of sin. Sometimes people put either underemphasize that or overemphasize that. And I think, I think it's very hard to arrive at the idea of God is love without a plurality of persons within the Godhead. I think it's impossible. I think that's why the Muslim conception of God, Allah, just it, there, there is no love because what does Allah have there to love? That takes a, that takes a co-equal, it takes submission. It takes, you know, for any of us who have been married for a long time, you know, that, there's a lot that goes into relationship, mountains and mountains and mountains of it, you know. And I really see that within the Godhead itself. I see, you know, Jesus spending every breath glorifying the Father 
and doing the Father's will, the Spirit testifying of Christ, testifying of salvation, testifying of conviction of sin and righteousness, you know. I'm not sure I can paint a picture of the world without him. If if God completely withdrew, well, it'd be hell. <laughs> Jeremy Stolnicker. I'm the CEO of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, and I'm here with my pastor, Steve Chappell, who is the pastor of Coastline Baptist Church here in Oceanside, California. And we are here today to tell you about our new book, Offensive Faith. In the Old Testament, the psalmist asked the rhetorical question, if the foundations be destroyed, what are the righteous to do? And it seems like we're living in a time when the foundations are being destroyed in a lot of different ways. Here's the great news. God has given us incredible insight in this word that can not only encourage us to hold on in times like these, but to help us to move forward by faith. And I think our goal in this book and what we hope for you, once you pick it up and you read it, is that you will be encouraged and equipped to go on the offense with your faith in a world that seems so often out of control. Order your copy of Offensive Faith today on Amazon.com. Jesus, fill me with your spirit, Lord. Jesus, fill me with your spirit, Lord. Let all creation know. When we say that that someone has always or has always throughout history been looking for God, it's because God introduced himself immediately at the time of creation. Adam didn't have to seek for God. God introduced himself immediately to Adam. So there was a knowledge that was based. Everything past Adam now becomes a perversion of what happened in the garden. So anybody, uh, any of the false religions, any of the, the false folklore, any of the, the things that stemmed away from the, as we call it, the scarlet thread that goes through the, from, from Genesis to Revelation, any of that is a perversion of the gospel, but it's based off the gospel. It's based off God's presence in the garden. So when Abraham was praying to an unknown God or he was praying to somebody else, his family and his family tradition had strayed from the original God Jehovah. Okay. So anything, anytime that you see, like you can go in through history and you can see that there are, uh, there's like the Epic of Gilgamesh and there's all kinds of, of Middle Eastern stories about the Epic floods and the, and the deluge and, 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 all of that's a perversion of what's in the, in the in the gospel story. All of that's a perversion of the worldwide flood that we have with Noah. They're all stories that tell a similar events, but they're usually perverse in the way that they, they stem away from whether it's not necessarily a worldwide flood or whether it wasn't caused by God or whether it was caused by some other catastrophe. Or There's been any number of things that change, and a lot of times what we find now, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna part. This is not scripture. This is Brian. Okay, but when I look at that stuff throughout history, what I see is it's man adding to to help them understand what they see. So when you've got Adam and Eve in the garden, they add to what God said, or or Eve did. Eve did right. right? Okay. 
because they wanted to help understand the perception of what was going on, so she added to what God said. There, therefore, the, the, the story was perverse. Anytime you see anything like with the Romans or the, or the Greeks when they talk about their multiple deities, they're adding to what's Scripture. They're seeing something, they know it's superhuman or it's extrahuman or it's not, it's not natural to the humanity, so therefore it has to be something else. And then they assign some kind of deification to it. They assign some kind of story, he- legend, hero, whatever behind it. So once and, they sort of down that path of perversion, it correct. continually grows. And, okay. It continually grows and grows and grows and grows. So when you get to even, – even the Apostle Paul, when he was at Mars Hill and he was talking to all the Romans, he said, listen – you, you have a God for everything, but there's this one statue here that says to the unknown God. And, and literally, he says, let me introduce you to him because I, I know him. And I'm, I always get a kick out of that story because they, they weren't even sure that maybe there was a God that we forgot. Maybe there's a God we don't know. We don't know what he does. We just, just in case, we want to catch all God just in case all the other hundreds of gods that we've come up with aren't, aren't enough. So again, I think it all starts with a perversion of God's word from the beginning in Genesis. I, I'll agree with that. The only thing that I think, and I'm not saying you're wrong, I'm just saying uh, what you're s- describing is more behavioral. I would go back just a couple of verses before that when God says, let us make mankind in our image, Genesis 20, uh, 1, 26, right. 27. And so they were created, if we look at God being this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and if that is imbued in who we are, we had that, we have that, you know, to use a really trite statement that God shaped whole in us, and the perversions, all those other things that you brought up, like I, the comparative religions approach to things, all of that, all, I agree with you 100% that that is all taking what was there, changing it to fit whatever that innate desire is in all of us. And I think we're on the same page, but I don't want to lose the fact that before Adam and Eve were even created, God said, let us referring to that communal nature of who God is. If we go to Kinsey's second question in the old Testament, there you go. The spirit was already there. In fact, Genesis one, 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 two says that the spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. So right. The spirit was, always there an essential element and this would make for an interesting discussion talking about the unknown god well it wouldn't have been until moses if we agree on mosaic authorship of genesis we wouldn't have had any name for god up until the burning bush that's the only time that god gives himself he gives us the he gives us the tetragrammaton up until then it was sort of a generic term you had elohim you had um what word would have Abraham used? Who would he have directed that to? And so I think it extends just a tad bit beyond behavioral to that innate drawing to God yep. because of how he created us and created us with that spirit focus in mind. I, I'm not saying that Brian's wrong. I mean, I would love to say that Brian's wrong just for the sake of <laughs> saying it, but... But no, I think somewhere between what you were saying and that little bit that I'm that I'm tweaking, I think we have a as close to a human understanding. I mean, we're we're geniuses. We all know that. But I think we have as close to the human understanding of this odd human relationship that we possibly could articulate. Right. Well, and and I love what you said, Alan, when you talk about the fact that that he spoke in, in pluralities. 
Um, and then it talks about the spirit of God hovering over the over creation. And there's been multiple places where, where I believe that the spirit of God lighted on man, especially for, for spiritual inspiration. You know, when we talk about Isaiah looking at God in the temple, we talk about Moses visiting with God on the burning bush. I mean, how many times did we see the spirit of God uh, visit with Samson and, and David and all these other men? Now, Obviously, God had not made a way for the for the Spirit to stay with them like He does with us today. But He did visit and He did light. Yep. Yep. And I think that that's that's the important part to remember. Yep. Is that God's presence was always there, and God's yep. Spirit was always moving in mankind. But His ability to indwell in us couldn't. And, and again, this goes back to our conversation we had a couple of shows ago about the you know uh, salvation prior to the cross was basically bought on credit. Well, once once the blood of, of Jesus was applied to the, the, the mercy seat, now the Spirit could reside with man yep. as opposed to just lighting on him and inspiring him yep. and moving. And now he's got a place that he can literally say, now I can be indwelling inside of you. Well, that, that right there is a huge, I think, a very huge point for me is most of the examples we get throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit resides or rests on what right. lives in, in. but yes. is that, I mean, it, that with, with all that stuff in the timeline and everything is that contrary to the thought or the teaching that god is the same yesterday today and always or is it just because it's a different aspect of the trinity it's different or what god never no, changed. Where, where, man changed and god's interaction with humanity changes Right. The you look you look at what Christ says, and I just focused on this the last week or two, where Jesus says, "I have not come to abolish the law." So that yeah. debt to whoever I'm not going to argue the nature of propitiation of sin. That's not what I'm going to get into. But the requirements of the punishment for our sin are still there. But instead of you and me paying it out, Christ puts it on Himself. Right. And that's what makes it so different. It's not that God is any different because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the requirements and humanity's abject unwillingness to surrender, to participate in that, to even show that we were sorry or believe that we were wrong. That's what separated the Old Testament, you know, the temple sacrifice model from Christ saying, look, this has been on you for generations and you're unwilling to do it. I'm going to do it, whether I... <laughs> really want to jesus saying if this could pass that'd be great but <laughs> that to me is how i would address that kinsey because of what god did man's condition was now in a place of acceptance to the holy spirit it's god it's man that's changing man that changed not change god, correct not exactly okay right man's okay. condition changed because god's uh, application of 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 the of the sacrifice of christ well, just take the temple veil. This, to me, is a very foundational element of God's relationship with human beings because you could not go in. And then the minute Christ says, you know, it is finished, it tears from top to bottom. And I mean, that point in history has never been open to anyone. Like, yeah, no, I mean, just everybody. Yep. And, well, and that's such a stage. The Old Testament is filled with prophets. You know, you got Micah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and they were spoken to through the Spirit. 
Sure. So, you know, the spirit of God would through them and, and out pop whatever, you know, they, they needed to say to people. And at a certain point, God said, okay, I'm going to stop talking to prophets because you're not listening. And then that's when the New Testament comes about when Jesus is born and, you know, he does what he does for us on the cross. And that's when the spirit comes back to be within everyone, not just prophets. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I think, think that's why it's with everyone to begin with. I, I don't, I, now, God may have used the prophets to spread whatever message of redemption, uh, whatever message He needed for the people to hear. But I think the Spirit, um, is, as we said, is always there. Going back with what Kathy said, there, I think it's a, it's key is that when mm-hmm. Jesus started to ascend into heaven, He said, "Tarry here and wait." and I will send the Comforter. That's the first time in history that he talks about the infilling of of the Spirit of God. Just like Alan said a minute ago, up to this point, the, the Spirit was very active in the Word. The Spirit was active in creation. The Spirit was active in inspiration. The Spirit was active in in all kinds of areas in our lives. And like you said, he was very much a part of uh, being around us and on us but jesus then said i will send the comforter and he will be in you and he actually changed right and he that's when but see that relationship could only change once the blood had been applied and the and, and the sin was removed wants to get ripped off, broken into, or robbed, but nobody wants to pay a lot of money to have their home protected either. I've got an offer to tell you about to provide home security for your home for less than a dollar a day. For real. With no installation or equipment charges. And this is from a company rated number one by a leading consumer research company. According to the facts, most of you won't even call unless there's a burglary in your neighborhood or something bad happened. So let's give you a reason. Save money. For less than a dollar a day with no other costs, you can get your home secured. Plus, get a lifetime equipment replacement warranty. You need protection for your home. Call the Home Security Hotline right now. 800-561-2351 Again, that's 800-561-2351 I got my mojo Mojo 5 I got my mojo working out Live free I got my mojo working It's original. It's bold. It's patriotic. It's American. It's American pride. It's 
American Pride Roasters coffee. Historically, great coffee. AmericanPrideRoasters.com Can I get an amen? An amen now, brothers and sisters. Here's a question for you. In Acts, and I can't remember where in Acts it is, but um, they run across some believers who have only been baptized with the baptism of John. Mm-hmm. All right? They baptize them in the name of Christ, and then a couple of days later, men come from Jerusalem to lay hands on them and give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, which is- Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Is different because then I, the, there was actually, I believe, a, the Simon, the, the, the sorcerer there, who, yep. you know, he saw, hey, this is imparted by laying on of hands. So he offered money for, you know, how much can I pay you to 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 get this power? Because he's seeing what, you know, the power that's being generated by these people with, you know, healing and other miraculous works. Um, But still there had to be an element there of the laying on of hands. Now I kind of have in my own head why that had to be, but I would like to hear some other opinions on why the laying on of hands had to be present for that transference. I don't think it had to be. You know why I don't think it had to be? Lay it on. You remember the uh, Roman centurion that went to Christ to try to get one of his servants healed? Yep. And he said, you don't even got to come under my roof, which I know is a dirty thing for you to do as a Jew. But when I tell somebody to come, you better believe they're at my door. When I tell them to go, you better believe they run. So... Yeah, I mean, his whole point was, I I know how this works. I know how authority is. If I say that it's to be done, then what's under me does what it is. It's the way the structure is set up. Yeah, but he was talking to Christ, though. He was talking to Christ. Not What what Pat's talking about, I think, is when the apostles lay hands, it's not, it's, is is that the the spirit being, um, or, or the gift of the spirit being in Oh, not in post, but it's in Acts chapter chapter 8 where it's at. Yeah. My my theory on a lot of this is that it's not the, uh, the, 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 
the laying of hands and other stuff itself is not necessarily as required, but I believe that a lot of things happen with the symbolism that they do and the gestures that they do for our benefit because we can't always make that leap of understanding on all of these things. I mean, if you had blessing of oil and things of that nature... I think it was exactly that, that it was a, this was a, a issue of authority. In other words, yes. if the Holy Spirit didn't come on them out them, it was to get men from Jerusalem to go, hey, there is a right way to do this. Understood completely. I agree right. with that 100%. And, yep. and that way you're not going off on your own and running tangents and, you yep. know. And, and, and I think that also goes with being sort of ministerial leaders. Now, those of us that are in vocational ministry, I take very seriously the whole understanding of apostolic succession. You know, those that that what Jesus laid his hands on and sent them out, the early church. that And because you take the couple of thousand that were there at the birth of the church, they weren't laying their hands on all of them to impart the Holy Spirit. Right. So I I think much like what you had said about setting the example, I think it is, well, you're chosen to be, or this is to confirm the calling on you to be a sort of a ministry leader. Now, you wouldn't in every sense say just an average conversation, lay your hands on somebody. Do you know Christ? And then you lay your hands and no, that's usually not how it works. <laughs> well, actually, the Bible but, says don't lay hands on anybody suddenly. So, I mean, it tells you not to do that. Well, I I guess there are times where you, you do want to lay hands on people suddenly, but that's Amen. a slightly different different concept. Slightly, but, slightly different context. Yeah, 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 but I mean, if you're, if you're healing or doing something like that, I don't think that the hands laid down itself is necessary. The, we, we always want to look at having everything figured out. And we don't. If we look back, I mean, what what would you say if I asked you all, how was the blind man healed whenever his sight was restored? Which one? That's the point right there, because there's at least three different ones that I can think of, and all three of them were healed in a different manner. There, uh, there is healing that was, doesn't was, even requ- that didn't even have the putting on of hands. I mean, just on Christ alone, well, but, we were talking about the centurion. There was somebody else too. There was the woman that touched his garment, and healing power left him. I think God, and she was healed. Was she blind? She wasn't blind, but she had which, healing disorder. Which three? I know there's there were two men. One. Where uh, he didn't touch him, I think he just healed him. Right? That was in the temple. There was one where he. Well, there was one where he spit on the ground. He put clay in his eyes. Mm-hmm. There was oh, another so, one. Okay. He, there, there was another one that he touched his eyes, and he said, "He said, can you see?" And he said, "I can see, but I see men as trees walking around." And he took him by the hand. He led him out of the city, and he healed him again, or he he healed him completely at that point. I'm trying to think of the third one, Kinsey, and I can't think of the third one. Is that the third one that that went and witnessed that he was able to see again and and 
The the third one that was that I can think of offhand whose sight was restored was post Jesus. Yeah, it would have been Saul. Exactly. And when when he yeah when he was healed, scales fell from his eyes. Right, but but he wasn't blind from birth. No, he wasn't blind from birth. He was still blind, and yet even though he had the same problem, but he was he was blinded by the presence of God. God. Yes, a big difference. Yeah, he he was. No, is it definitely a big? I think I think it's a difference. It's it's not a miracle. Well, I guess it would. I don't think it's an awakening that Paul went through, where the other two were were healing miracles. Um, I, I, hmm? I can go. I can go either way on that one. Honestly, uh, that's that's one of those side issues. I don't. I don't know that I, I. I don't know that I care to really dig too deep into. But Paul was the the reason why Paul was blinded was to show, and I believe that this dealt with him the rest of his life, but was to show his dependence on other people, because Paul up to that point was super independent. Paul did not rely on anybody. He was large and in charge. And for three days, he couldn't be. Wake that on how weak and fragile he actually is. Exactly, because he was in the presence of God, and God literally fried his corneas. I mean, that's just... I mean, that's what the Bible says. It says scales fell off his eyes. I, I, I believe that he was in the presence of God, and his physical body just couldn't handle the intensity of the light. known as Amtrak from the Tin Can Radio Program. As a Christian and as a trucker, I want to go ahead and bring to your attention an event that's going to be happening for truckers later on in September. Church for Truckers is going to be holding an event that is called the Reset. Since over-the-road truck drivers often are not home for weeks at a time, Church for Truckers step in and fill that gap where they miss out from being able to be home at their own brick-and-mortar church. As a matter of fact, if you drive truck and you feel like you're missing out on some of that Christian community, I recommend you look up Church for Truckers on Facebook. Anyhow, the Reset is a fellowship activity that's going to be taking place at campgrounds over in Sullivan, Missouri, just a few miles down the road from the Flying J Truck Stop. The Reset will take care of some of the reserved parking so more people will be able to make the event, and they'll also provide vehicles to help shuttle drivers back and forth between the truck stop and the campground. There'll be campfire and fellowship while everybody shows up on September the 8th, which is Friday. There should be different workshops on Saturday along with a Merrimack cave tour and a spaghetti dinner that evening. And what would church for truckers be without actually providing church? They'll have church that Sunday with music and baptism, and they're going to be having a cookout with the normally expected foods like pulled pork, hot dogs, burgers, things like that. 
If you're not already a member of the Church for Truckers community and you want to get a hold of somebody so that you can be able to donate some money or materials, contact me at my normal places for the show. That would be on Twitter or on Getter at 10can0913 or look up the 10can radio program on Facebook or you can send an email to 10canradio at protonmail.com. You got me. Please include the hashtag reset so it'll help grab my attention on what the message is for. And if you know someone that would be interested, please spread the word. If you can show up and be blessed or if you can donate and be a blessing to other people, either way, I greatly appreciate it. questions already or no yeah i think so we pretty much i mean we got one last one to tackle which i don't know if we could properly answer this because this is going to be something that is going to be i guess you could say understood depending on each individual person's perspective and that is how you can tell whether or not God's Spirit or the Holy Spirit is in you and working or doing whatever. And Can I answer that one? Go ahead. Go You're for okay. it. So you all know it's been an ongoing joke that I've spent the last six months in the book of Galatians. No way. And the answer to that is very simple. Although we're not necessarily told to judge people, we are told to be fruit inspectors. And I think that it's very obvious that if you are walking in Christ, you will produce fruit. It is not something that is optional. It is not something that is that is up for debate. And that's how you know you have the Spirit of God. You will produce fruit. You will start to see the works of the Spirit in a person's life. You have to, because the Bible says that a, an evil tree can't produce good fruit, a good tree or a good tree can't produce evil fruit. So there is a certain level of fruit inspection that goes on. And, you know, I had a conversation, a very intense conversation with a a young man uh, a few weeks ago. And, you know, he's trying to tell me that, you know, he's saved and he's ready to go to heaven, but he's, he's strung out on drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other depraved behavior. And, you know, and, and his question to me was, do you think I'm not saved? And my answer, my heartfelt answer to him was, it is not my place to say whether God has saved your soul or not. But if I'm looking at the fruit that's hanging off your tree, brother, it's rotten. And that would scare me if it were me. So to answer the question is, how do we know if someone has the Spirit of God? We will see evidence of the Spirit of God because it cannot stay hid. I I don't think it's possible for a believer to have an experience with God or experience with Christ, specifically an experience with the Holy Spirit, and some other believer not be able to tell. Agreed. 
But how can you tell whenever you're doing things that you're being nudged by the Holy Spirit and you're not just being nudged by a feel-good sense of emotion at the time or anything else? That's a faith question, brother. All right. Would you like an an analogy from Patrick? (laughs) Come on, Patrick. (laughs) All right. How do you know when a train is derailed? That's relatively obvious. We give quite good examples yep. of it every Sunday night on Mojo Five O. <laughs> yeah, at eight o'clock Central Time. Well, I would yeah. I would contend that the same thing is the spirit is basically the tracks. That's the tracks that God hands us down to it. So, if I, no matter how I feel at the moment, look over and go, "That's funny." The tracks are like six feet to my right. All right. I have to correct. If I don't correct, no matter what I feel, it's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is never, ever going to contend with the word. And Patrick, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm working on a new a new series. I don't know how long it's going to take. But I'm working on a new, uh, a new series right now called Proper Alignment. And I use and I use the analogy of a vehicle that's out of alignment. Yep. Because it takes effort to keep that vehicle on the road when it's not aligned properly. In some cases, depending on how far out of alignment that it is, determines how much force and how much how much overcorrection you have to do to keep that vehicle on alignment. And my contention Or you need is, new parts. Well, yeah, exactly. And and my contention is is that the people that are struggling the most with their walk with Christ are the ones that are out of alignment with the Word of God. The closer yeah. we get into alignment with God's Word, the closer we get into alignment with the with the move of the Spirit, the easier it is for us to... I won't say the easier it is for us to exist in this world, because we're always going to have issues with the world. But I think the easier it is for us to walk and do what we do in the Spirit of God and to recognize when those inspirations are Him... You know, I'm going to give him credit regardless of whether it's him or not. I don't know if it is or not, but I'm going to tell it to him because I want to focus my brain on the fact that I want to listen to what he says. And as long as it lines up with the word, as long as it follows what he says in his in, in the in the scriptures, I, I'm I'm going to give him credit for it all day long. So, I got a question then. Imagine that our last listening <laughs> our last listener question that we hit on how to tell whether the spirit is in you or not do you think that might have had the wrong premise then because for some reason what came to my mind was civil war era abraham lincoln somebody asked him if they thought well, that god was on his side and he spun around back and answered it. That's not the issue on whether or not God is on my side. It's whether or not we're on God's side. There you go. There you go. Well, and I, I think the premise you too, you know, so I know growing up in, in, in the church that I grew up in, um, and I don't know that anyone ever took the time to say this specifically, but it's one of those osmotic teachings that you just kind of pick up because you're around it and and whether they specifically specify this is what it is or whether it's just what you kind of uh i guess pick up through the the culture or whatever so long story short you know we were always taught that you're saved then you get sanctified 
then you get filled with the Holy Ghost. And there's three separate and distinct stages, and you can't have one without doing the prior one, right? So you can't be sanctified until you get saved. You can't have the Holy Ghost until you get sanctified. Well, as as I've grown deeper in my walk with Christ, and as I've looked at the Scriptures more, I realize that sanctification is a lifelong endeavor. This is not something that anyone is going to be perfect until they stand before Christ. And even then, it's only through His blood that we're we're made perfect. Right. So, so sanctification is not a one and done thing. There's not a day where on June sixteenth, nineteen seventy four, I was sanctified. No, that's your forty years in the desert. Well, (laughs) right. So, so we can't get there, right? Well, the other part about it is, is this this infilling of the Holy Ghost. So, if you're around Pentecostal, I know Alan Alan said that he kind of grew up in this in these circles too. But if you're around like the Pentecostal and Charismatic circles, a lot of times what we talk about is the infilling of the Holy Ghost, people sometimes refer to that as receiving the Holy Ghost. And and again, that's different than having the Holy Spirit present with us at the time of salvation. That's different than what we've been talking about up to this point. But what I think that, what I think would be better for us to say is that there is empowerment that comes with that quote-unquote baptism in the Holy Ghost that is an empowering for service. That is when God is setting you forth to go do something, right? So the Apostle Paul was saved prior to him being set forth to go to the Gentiles, right? He had that salvational experience, and then God told him what he was called to do. And that was when he, quote-unquote, received the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now, again, we can talk about the charismatic gifts and all that, and, and, and you know, everybody's going to have a different take on what that looks like. And, and again, I'm I'm like... What Patrick said, that's a side issue. I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. My, my point being is, is that maybe the question was coming from that type of, of perspective. Well, how do I know if I have the Holy Ghost yet or not? And it, it might be that they've been taught that it is a separate work from salvation and it's a separate infilling. And, and maybe they're not, maybe, maybe the question wasn't clear enough is what I'm thinking. I was thinking that earlier, and I don't know why I didn't say that earlier until Patrick brought it up. So, so the Pentecostals believe that it's a separate um, thing to to be indwelled with the Spirit. It, it's yes. not. It's, it's not. It happened uh, as an evangelical. It happens as soon as you accepted Christ as your Savior, and, and you've asked to be cleansed of your. It, he's there. It's, it's some, some Pentecostals teach that there is a separate infilling or a separate baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they they take that from the fact that the disciples were saved. They received salvation prior to Acts chapter 2, but they didn't speak in tongues and weren't quote-unquote baptized in the Holy Ghost until Acts chapter 2. Right when he when Peter was was Correct. speaking to right right back back when the people that were around at the time thought that they were drunk or something because of the way they were acting they were they they were indwelled with the spirit according to scripture wasn't it yeah in fact I had to explain to him saying that you know that because I'm sure it was it was massive chaos you've got people from all over the you know. Region. Roman Empire, yeah. wherever place where Jews left and, you know, coming back for for Pentecost. And 
you know, you're the guy speaking now in a, you know, in a dialect of Cyprus that, you know, that, that, you know, from your, where you live and you're going, wow, I can, you know, it's not a, a, a you're not there at Pentecost anymore for visual, um, worship of something that you, you may not understand the words they're saying or whatever else they're, they're doing. Um, this was actually, now everybody understood all of these other people who are going out and, and giving them the good news, they can understand the languages that they were speaking. And so it appeared to like mass pandemonium to me. It's like, maybe if you were, you know, a Pharisee or something on the outside, I could imagine that it would sound kind of like, you know, complete chaos. Bunch of Middle Eastern sounding gibberish. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's been watching videos. (laughs) Well, I think I think the other thing, and I, I agree with Patrick. I think I think that Acts chapter two uh, also it, it tends to lean toward a miracle of hearing, and not so much a miracle of speaking. I've heard people argue that each of those individual men spoke in a different language as God gave them the utterance, and they didn't actually. I I tend to believe, and again, this is my my Pentecostal heritage. I know it is. So my my Pentecostal is, is my my Pentecostalism is uh, is showing. I apologize, but I tend to believe that it was an unknown tongue, and what they heard, what the her, the hearers actually heard, was in a dialect that they shouldn't have been able to hear or understand, or shouldn't have been able to speak. So, you know, Peter was speaking in an unknown tongue, and this guy over here heard Peter in Hebrew. This guy over here heard him in in, in Greek. This guy over here heard him in Italian. This guy over here heard him in Aramaic or what, you know, that's what I tend to believe happened. Yeah, um, I, I, that's what it sounds like reading through. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, he was just speaking his normal. I, now, I don't know if you see an unknown lens. I, I think that God has gave everyone the ability of discernment and hearing or understanding what Peter's saying in their own tongue. Right, right. So. So would the proper gift then being speaking in tongues, or would it be to the other people listening in tongues? Yes. Well, I thought you had to have both, right? In order to, you, well, you, I think uh, Pentecost, right? You have to have someone who can who speaks in tongues and someone who's an interpreter. So yeah. as, 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 some, as someone who has done an extensive research on this, um, there are three, there are three um, quote-unquote purposes of an unknown tongue. The first one is edification and, and undefiled worship to God that cannot be interpreted or cannot be interfered with by man or by or, or by the enemy. And sometimes that gets referred to as a quote unquote prayer language. I I really get that the, I don't like that at all because it's not you doing it; it's the Holy Spirit praying through you, right? So I don't want to get into this well. I can speak in tongues anytime I want to. Do you want to hear me? No, that that's dangerous. That's bad. I don't like that. That's me. Yeah, that's kind of Copeland. Yeah, that's 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 some that's some that's some word of faith stuff right there that I don't get in. But I, I believe that there is a there is a time when I when I'm praying and I do speak in other tongues and it's not something that I even understand, but I believe that it's the Holy Spirit praying through me and, and it's it's straight to God. It's a completely undefiled. Then the second obvious is is in Acts chapter two when it was a language a language barrier, where I've heard people and I I've known 
ministers who have gone to other countries and God moved on them and they spoke in another uh, language completely fluently that they did not know. I've heard of that happening. I, I know the guy personally, so I take his word for it pretty, pretty, you know. Now, there were times when people said, well, we don't need to know their language. God will just, and God didn't, and they ended up getting eaten by the, you know, by the, by the, you know, the barbarians, just, right? But <laughs> so, Christ, uh, again, you better that. make sure that's God before you go, you know. <laughs> um, and then, and then, of course, the, the third and, and most important one, I think, is when you talk about in, in the, in, in the operation of the church, Speaking in the unknown tongues could also be a type of prophecy or a type of, of word of knowledge that comes forward in a congregation where someone speaks in a message and then that person or someone else will interpret what was said. Again, I personally tend to shy away from that because I've seen it abused. I've seen it. I've seen it mistreated. I've seen it um, counterfeited. And I just, I, it, it bothers me. I, I took a real hard step back from the charismatic side of Pentecost for a long time because I got tired of seeing it abused and, and, and counterfeited. And it was just, it was very disheartening, to say the least. But I'm not, I refuse to say that it's not real. is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five-O.